Hey guys, this is Damon Amendolara, DA, CBS Sports Radio, and you are locked into The Bridge with John Lund. Keep it locked. Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to host your own show on CBS Sports Radio? We'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On episode 91 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 24 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode and additional content from the show on Thursday nights on iTunes under The Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text in to The Bridge 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. It's almost an unwritten rule that the only people worthy of poking fun or calling out athletes are the athletes themselves. And it makes sense. Those that have actually played professional sports tend to have a better gauge of their peers than those sitting at home on their couches do. Despite rivalries or hatred on the field, athletes usually share a mutual respect, even when some ball-busting might be done on their behalf. However, some athletes don't exactly let an insult roll off their back, and you better watch out if you don't put some respect on that name. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. Tony Romo has evolved from the franchise quarterback of one of the most popular teams in NFL history into one of the best color analysts of the National Football League. Though Romo was often mocked as a player for never making a Super Bowl and winning just two postseason games, his rise from an undrafted free agent and placeholder 
to one of the best quarterbacks during his playing career is certainly something to behold. Now, Romo has taken his talents to the booth and masterfully transferred his game knowledge from under center to behind the microphone and able to offer a different viewpoint and behind-the-scenes look at play calling than viewers have ever seen. Romo's relationship with past and present players also adds to his broadcasting charm in providing even more stories and insight to a game. Some are said with a more serious tone, while others are said in joke or jest. Such was the case this past Sunday, when Romo commented on a missed tackle by Chiefs cornerback Marcus Peters by saying this. Peters doesn't want to tackle. That's one of the things I'm telling you. He's really good out there at the corner off coverage, but in tackling... Not his thing. No, and he makes Deion Sanders look good at tackling sometimes. A humorous dig at former Dallas Cowboys cornerback Deion Sanders, who was released by the Cowboys three years before Tony Romo came into the league. Primetime was one of the best NFL players and overall athletes of his time, primarily playing at cornerback while also serving as a kick returner and occasional wide receiver. For the Falcons, 49ers, Cowboys, Redskins, and Ravens. The Hall of Famer also knows a thing or two about winning, with rings from Super Bowl titles with the 49ers and Cowboys, while also playing in the World Series with the Atlanta Braves. Dion certainly has a resume that can be matched by few, but did have some minor flaws as a player specifically in his knack to avoid dishing out any major hits. Dion's tackling is something that he's joked about in the past, saying his shoulders were made for suits, not players. Even his quarterback in Dallas, Troy Aikman, said of Dion in tackles, quote, he used to call them business decisions. Hence, the jest made by Romo wasn't exactly out of left field. But when shown the clip on NFL Network's NFL Game Day Prime, Dion did more than offer a hearty laugh. Tony, I, I tried my best to take the high road, but I don't, I don't know the address to the high road. So I got to come at you, man. You, 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 you. Ten years as a starter, you're two and four in the playoffs. You ain't won nothing. I tried to bury the hatchet. Both of us worked for CBS. I went and shook your hand and said, Tony, you're doing a great job this year. I thought that would be it. But nevertheless, you keep on showing that me. Tony, what's going on, man? I got a gold jacket that I didn't buy. Dak says hi. <laughs> and bye. Tony, leave me alone, man. I got a lot of ammunition, man. How many interceptions? How many interceptions? 19 in 2012? Come on, man. You threw to everybody but me. <laughs> Tony, come on, man. You know you never won the big one. You know you never won the big one. So stop, man. Leave me alone. I tried to take the high road, but I don't know the address. <laughs> All right, here we go. You know what? Uh, I really love to try in the Broncos. Some strong words from Dion over something he should have probably just let roll off his back.
It would be like making the Seinfeld, I had sex with your wife joke, fully knowing that the person's wife was actually dead. I'm John Lund, for sports news, read like real news. Let's take a quick break to binge watch Seinfeld. When we come back, we'll talk to a CBS Sports radio host about his career in sports media and small ties to Mike and the Mad Dog. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text into the bridge anytime at 929 Bridge 7. That's 929 274 3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text into The Bridge. This week, we want to know, what is your biggest storyline in the National Football League and why? Now to this week's guest in Damon Amendolara. He is the host of the DA Show on CBS Sports Radio, and you can hear him weekdays from 9 to noon Eastern time and even on some Sundays during the NFL season, along with also seeing him on the NFL Network's Top 10 show. DA has been doing sports radio for more than a decade and has quite an incredible path before landing where he is today from stations in Florida to Kansas City to Boston and now in New York, first with local markets to now having a national show. He also works in the same building as Mike Francesa who D.A. got to interview in high school and who gave D.A. some maybe unwanted internet fame for an update anchor beef that we'll talk about as well. Damon will chat about how he got started in sports media and studying at Syracuse, some fears if that was the right decision when it took him a little while to find a job, that first job and working in local radio in some major markets. His ties to Mike Francesa in some footage shot in high school getting used in the Mike and the Mad Dog 30 for 30 to Mike calling out DA on air for one of the updates he did during his show and some of what Damon does outside of what you hear on air as well. You can follow Damon on Twitter. He's at DA on CBS. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Damon Amendolara. He is the host of the DA Show, weekdays from 9 to noon Eastern time for CBS Sports Radio. DA, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Appreciate you asking me. Thanks. No problem at all. It's my pleasure to get to chat with you about some of what you do and what listeners can hear if they should tune into your show as well. I wanted to start by turning back the clocks a little bit. You grew up in Warwick, New York, meaning Mike and the Mad Dog was on New York radio, of course. So I'm sure that might have had some influence on you, but I'm interested to know what was it that made you decide to pursue sports broadcasting and then taking that all the way to Syracuse University to then study it? Yeah, you know, I grew up in the New York area with all the New York teams and my family, huge New York Mets fans actually going back to the Brooklyn Dodgers. So there was a rivalry in my, my grandma and my dad and my mom growing up in Brooklyn with the New York Yankees. So obviously we adopted as a national league household, the Mets and 
when I'm growing up in the 80s, the Mets are good in 86 and all of that jazz. So I became hooked. And then my dad was a big New York Giants fan dating back to the 50s and old Yankee Stadium. So we always used to watch the games on the big TV on Sundays. And it just kind of be- became addicted to the the celebration of the sports and the event and the bigness of it when I was a kid. And then so as I kind of grew a little older, being in New York and WFAN being a big deal and all the sports teams obviously larger than life, I kind of kept thinking, boy, how much I would love to be in sports in some way, shape or form. And I was always comfortable in front of a microphone or a home movie camera. I was always okay doing the, the, the presentations in grade school or middle school. And I said, you know what? Maybe as a media member, I could fit in here. And I never really had dreams of, of playing, even though I did play a lot of sports growing up. I kind of had more of a dream of, of talking about it. And so when I was uh, going through high school, uh, I said, you know, I, I really want to get behind a microphone and do something here in sports. So I actually reached out to my local cable access station, TV station in, in Little Warwick, New York. And I said, I, I can call games. If you guys have the football games on, I can call games. And that was kind of uh, that, that ignorance of, of youth, that blissfulness of not knowing what the hell you don't know. And they said, OK, big shot, come get a camera, come get a tripod, come get a microphone and you can call girls soccer in high school. Go have at it. And I said, all right, I can do that. And so that led me from a sophomore year on sophomore, junior, senior year in high school to just kind of go after it and call games for my local high school and cable access and. That grew a little bit more and more when I was in high school. And then from there, I said, well, I, I got to go to a school that's got a good communications program. And Syracuse seemed to be the best in the region. And so I said, I'll, I'll try it there. And then I went there and uh, the rest kind of took care of itself. I did a lot of student radio there at WAER, which turned out a lot of greats and uh, cut my teeth. The, the pressure and the, um, the competitiveness of Syracuse really helped me because uh, it was hard. And uh, there's a lot of talented guys that came out of there. And. A lot in my years, there was heavy competition, but uh, kind of helped me kind of propel the career coming out of school to, to be ready for what the industry was was having for me. Syracuse is part of broadcasting career lore, as we know, and that included internships, I'm sure, as you mentioned, sports director for the radio station as well. From what you learned in the classroom, the hands-on things that you were able to do as well, what would you say your biggest takeaway was from your time there and getting you prepared for the real world? The competitiveness, as I mentioned, because when I was in high school, I was really the one of the only guys that, that took it so seriously that I said, this has got to be my career. We actually had a communications program in high school and so we had some people that were behind the scenes, went on to become directors or producers or cameramen. I was one of the only ones that said, I got to be in front of the camera. I really want to do this. But so because of that, I kind of had my run of the of the program and of cable access. When I got to Syracuse, I realized, man, everybody that's here was doing what I did in high school. Everyone had that ambition. Everybody had that experience. So I went to WAER, the student radio station, and my classmates are Andrew Catalan, who's calling NFL games on CBS, Carter Blackburn, who's calling college football now on CBS. A year older than me was Corey Provis, who's the voice of the Minnesota Twins right now. Two years older than me was uh, Adam Shine of CBS Sports Network. And three years older than me was Adam Zucker, also of the SEC on CBS. 
And I'm saying, these are the people I have to compete against. Obviously, I didn't know what they would end up accomplishing, but those are the types of talents that were around me at, C- at the student radio station. And I had to compete with them to be on the air. And so it knocked me down. And I said, God, I got to get better. And it drove me every single day to be as good as those guys, and to get on the air like those guys, and to have my tapes listened by those guys. And when I came out of school and I was done with four years at Syracuse, competition was nothing I was afraid of. Uh, I was ready coming into the real world, coming into the industry of uh, people telling you, no, you're not good enough. You're not going to get this job. And it helped me steal myself for rejection and competition. And everywhere I went after that, every radio station I ever worked at, every TV station I ever worked at. I knew that there was going to be talented people around me and nothing was going to be handed to me. And I really think that helped because I never assumed anything in this industry. I always felt like I, I had to work my butt off to make sure I could prove myself in it. That certainly comes into play as we move through where you ended up. And I know it took some time after graduation before you landed your first gig driving all the way to Fort Myers, Florida to cover the prestigious Florida Firecats of the (laughs) Arena Football League minor leagues of sorts. So everybody has to start somewhere. And then that moves to Kansas City. And for people that don't know, the likes of Jason Whitlock, Jim Rome, you're dealing with former NFL Kansas City Chief players. Nick Wright eventually got to there and then to Miami and then to the sports hub in Boston where you and others, the station in itself, pretty much takes down WEEI in, say, a calendar year, which is something that probably nobody expected. It's almost a David and Goliath-type story if you were to consider if that would be successful today. So you've been through that grind in a sense, and I know each place has stories, but I was interested in a more broader question, I guess, to sort of put all of that together. How important was it for you to start in local radio, especially in markets that were unfamiliar to you at the start to help mold you and getting to you where you are today? Well, that's a fantastic question, man. And I appreciate you doing the research on, uh, on all of those nuggets because my, my Wikipedia list of, of jobs is a long one and it takes a while to get through all of that. Your website as well. You're very thorough in describing <laughs> yeah. yourself, which I do appreciate. <laughs> so, Working in local radio for me before I got to national radio was everything. It defined everything about my approach because growing up in New York, if I wanted to stay local and I wanted to stay at home, and yeah, the goal was always to come back home and work in New York to be close to friends and family. But if I wanted to do that, I was basically going to have to wait as a producer or an update anchor for a long time before I got a shot. I knew that. I knew I couldn't come out of school and get behind a microphone. And I needed reps. I needed to get experience. And so the only way I could was by going the route of I'll work anywhere, anytime. And I sent out tapes when I first graduated to Cedar Falls and... uh, and Missoula, and places I had never been nor never heard of. And I got turned down a lot. And that was what I was talking about in terms of preparation of competition. I was, you know, I I was frustrated because I wasn't getting a job, but I didn't ever think it was going to be easy. And then the local radio route going from Fort Myers, Florida, as my first job, you know, I had to learn, okay, what's everybody talking about here? Because they're not talking about the same things here as they were in New York or Syracuse. They're talking about Florida State football, and they're talking about, at that time, 
Miami Hurricanes football that was coming off a national championship. They were talking about the Buccaneers who would go on to win a Super Bowl. They were talking about a Florida Marlins team that would be a Cinderella story two years later to, to win a, a World Series. And I had to figure that out, and I had to learn that. And so when I went to Kansas City, I said, okay, I, I'm, I'm ready to kind of delve into a new pool and learn. Okay, what, what do I have got to learn? I've got to learn the history of the Royals. I need to understand what the Marty Schottenheimer years in Kansas City were like. I've got to understand what Kansas basketball means here. And all of those things were really important to to really dive into and understand, oh, I've got to come at it from that perspective, not as a New Yorker coming into Kansas City or Florida and figuring I knew it all or I had all the answers. Because how could you ever know what a Kansas City fan had gone through in 1997 when Lynn Elliott misses a billion field goals, or 1995 rather? How would you ever know what a Royals fan felt like you know, with years of, of 100 losses after they had been the class of baseball through the 70s and 80s? And so when I went then to Miami, after that, as you mentioned, I did the same thing. I had to indoctrinate myself. Boston was even tougher because everybody didn't trust a New Yorker who had come through Miami to come talk about those teams. And what it did was it forced me to look at an audience through the audience's lens instead of my lens. My lens didn't matter. It was the audience's lens. And so now on a national level, when I speak to my whatever, how many ever however many affiliates we end up having, and it's usually more than uh, 150 on any given day, depending on uh, what shift I've had, because I've done the overnights, the evenings, now middays. I don't talk about my subjects or the content of the teams as though I'm a New Yorker sitting in uh, a studio detached from everywhere. I can approach it from, well, how does a Cowboys fan look at the Ezekiel Elliott story? How does... Uh, a Royals fan, look at uh, winning the World Series. I, I can talk about it from those standpoints because it forced me to get outside of my comfort level for between 01 and, boy, I guess before I got the job was 2013. So more than a decade, uh, I was able to do that and kind of hone the craft. You mentioned working overnights and you spent more than enough time doing that. I'm sure you don't miss that sleep schedule quite as much as some people might think. And you first get started doing local radio, dealing with local markets, and even doing overnights as well once you started with CBS Sports Radio. And I'm sure people can imagine that's a different world from daytime and that you've got a more loyal listenership. People that are up at that time every night, they're coming to you for whatever they might be doing, and you sort of develop that chemistry with them, and that helps because guests might be hard to come by, and stories might repeat a little bit at the local level, but there's that closeness that doesn't necessarily get to exist at the national level. Is that something that you miss the most about those days doing local radio, getting the opportunity to have a little bit more close-knit base with the audience where you might not be able to do that as much with national radio? Well, my man, you are reading my mind because I have often talked about that uh, privately with, with people that ask me, well, do you ever, well, how bad were the overnights? That must have beat you up. I mean, how much do you, are you thrilled that you're not doing overnights anymore? And for the first two years of the network's existence in 2013 and 2014, I was doing 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. every single night. And we had nearly 200 affiliates. And I always wondered, boy, we have 200 affiliates, but who's listening? I mean, it's 3.30 in the morning. It's 4.15 in the morning. It's 2.18 in the morning. Who is listening to sports talk? And 
as tough as that was, because my body never adjusted over two years, it wouldn't have adjusted over 22 years. There was no way I, I was, I was not sleeping well. <laughs> I wasn't eating well. I wasn't living well. <laughs> I think it took years off my life, but I'll never, ever, ever, I think, feel about the audience quite the same way, because as you just mentioned, those, those listeners are with you every single minute of every single night of those four hours, because if they're up at that time, they've got to be up at that time. Ain't nobody just waking up at 3 a.m. going, boy, I can't sleep. Why don't I listen to sports talk radio? No, those are the people that are working at that time. Those are the people that live at that time. So you're locked in with security guards. You're locked in with convenience store clerks. You're locked in with people that drive for a living, whether it's a cab, an Uber, a truck. And they're with you every single night. And it creates such a bond. And it's so ravenous because they have nothing nothing live going on. You can't watch live TV at 3 a.m. There's that's everything is taped. It's infomercials. So it was a remarkable experience in loyalty and a bond that I'll never forget. And those those that, those that audience stays with me still today. They, even if they can't listen to me live anymore because they're sleeping, but when I'm on now, they listen to me via podcasts or the clips on YouTube or whatever it is. And um, there's nothing quite like it, man. I as tough as those years were, I wouldn't trade it for the world because of the bond that we had with those listeners. They were incredible. Through all of this, what has been your lowest point when? you might have felt like you wouldn't be able to make it in the sports media industry and pursuing what you wanted to do. When I graduated Syracuse, I felt like I had put all my ducks in a row and I had set myself up for success. I knew how competitive it was. I knew the odds were stacked against everybody that tries to do this. But I said, okay, in high school, I did everything that I possibly could. I rose to the top of my senior class. I got into Syracuse. I got into the Newhouse School, which is their journalism program, and I rose to the top of the student radio station being sports director at WAER. And those were things that Bob Costas or Marv Albert or Mike Tirico did. Uh, I had made every contact I possibly could. I felt like I was as good as I could possibly be. And I graduated in May of 01. And by March of 02, I still didn't have a job. And I was pretty low. I I was surprised that it was more than a year of sending out tapes and getting rejected and things falling apart and potential job offers dissolving. And I was, uh, I was, I was down and I actually sent a application to the old sci-fi net network. The sci-fi channel had an, an opening for secretary. And I said, well, if I can't work on the air, at least I can work somewhere in the business, be in a building, maybe make a contact. At least I'd be getting out of the house and earning a paycheck. So, so at the very least, I could be a secretary. And I applied for that job. And a couple of days later, I got the email. Uh, sorry, but uh, we've gone in a different direction and we filled the job. And I looked at, I looked at that email. I said, my God, I just graduated from one of the most prestigious journalism schools in the country, and I can't get a secretary job at the sci-fi channel. And I just kind of looked up and said, well, I've exhausted everything. Maybe that's it. Maybe this is the sig signal that I've got to pivot and turn, and I've got to be okay with that. And I just kind of said, all right, I'm, I'm going to have to be at peace with this. I've tried everything I possibly could. 
And lo and behold, I, uh, I took a trip. A friend of mine was studying overseas in Spain, and I said, I got to get out of here. I'm going to come visit. I'm going to crash on your couch. So I went to Madrid for like a week. And while I was in Madrid, I got an email of, hey, I think we got an opening for you here. And it might not be a lot of hours, but I think there might be something here. And of course, as soon as I said, all right, I'm, if this is it and I can't do it, I can't do it, is when the door opened up. But uh, it was... They always say it's darkest before the dawn. It was pretty dark when the sci-fi channel said no to me being a secretary. <laughs> but then you got to celebrate in Madrid. So there's, yeah. there's always a silver lining to it. <laughs> yeah, there was a late night at one of those Madrid uh, discotheques Absolutely. or whatever they call them. I'd be remiss if I didn't chat with you about Mike Francesa, someone we've mentioned that you went from listening to now to someone you get to walk past in the hallway. And there's one thing many listeners probably associate with you and Mike. But before that, there's another that some may not know. The Mike in the Mad Dog 30 for 30 debuted earlier this year. Fantastic watch. And you had a cameo in it. Albeit brief, as you mentioned, you have to pay attention. Because if you blink, as are some of the cameos in that, you'll miss it completely. But up until... Mike and the dog were simulcast on the Yes Network. There wasn't a lot of video footage of them in studio, which makes sense, obviously. But what people don't know is that some of the shots of them in studio that you'll see in the 30 for 30 were shot by you and some of your classmates from your days at Warwick Valley High School. Can you rehash the story of how you ended up interviewing Mike and Chris Russo back in high school and then getting to become part of the 30 for 30? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. When I was uh, in, in high school, we had a communications class for uh, one year, junior year, one year, senior year. And senior year, the, the senior project was create your own television show, at least do one pilot episode with your classmates. And so me and three other guys said, well, we love sports. I, of course, wanted to be in sports broadcasting, and I said, uh, we kind of pitched and brainstormed the idea of doing kind of a, a sports talk show, if you will, but really more interviewing some of the members of, of teams in the area. And so we said, well, why don't we reach out to some of the teams and see what, what would work? And, and shockingly, a bunch of teams got back to us and said, yeah, you can come down and interview a few of the players or the coaches. And so the New Jersey Nets said we could come down and we interviewed John Calipari and at the time Eric Montross and Sam Cassell and Kerry Kittles. New York Jets got back to us and we were able to interview one of their offensive linemen. The New York Giants, uh, the New York Yankees, they said no, but the New York Mets said you can come down and film batting practice and, and actually catch up with John Olerud and Bobby Valentine. And so these were big thrills for all of us as high schoolers. But then we said, boy, WFAN means so much in the area. How about we reach out to the fan and see? All right, it was a shot in the dark, and I think we had our uh, our teacher at the time uh, maybe make a phone call. Well, as fate would have it, she makes a phone call to who my current boss is right now, Eric Spitz, who was the assistant program director in 96 and 97 uh, when we were trying to do this. Really, it was the spring of 97 uh, at WFAN. And he said, yeah, all right, well, well they can come down and uh, catch some B-roll and videotape some of the guys. And if there's time, maybe we can set them up with somebody. And we said, okay, well, we'll come down, and we end up coming down there with a couple of, of uh, video cameras, the old, the old VHS video cameras that were on your shoulder you pop big VHS tapes into. And so they let us film in the studio during one of Mike and the Mad Dog's uh, episodes, 
And after their show, we were able to interview them each for five minutes apiece. And I'll never forget how nervous I was, but excited I was that I finally got to kind of talk to these guys and, and ask them some questions. And I kept, I held on to that tape since then. I mean, it only ran once on cable access, but I always had that tape because I was so proud of it. And I put it on YouTube a couple of years ago, just kind of saying like, hey, how interesting is this? Now I get to work next to the, the, these guys and at least next to Mike. And I know Chris a little bit through the industry and the producers of the 30 for 30, Dan Forer and a couple of other guys were kind of doing their research and noticed this footage. And they reached out to me and said, hey, is this your footage? I said, yeah, I own this. I filmed this. It's mine. They said, well, hold on to that because we might use that in the 30 for 30. I said, you got it. I got it on an old VHS tape. If you can convert it. Sure enough, I sent it to them. They converted it. They used it. And a lot of the footage that you'll see in the 30 for 30 is footage that my classmates and I took that day. It was a March or April day in 97, 20 years ago. But as you mentioned, they didn't have footage of Mike and Dog in that studio for more than 10 years doing that show. So they were able to use our B-roll and uh, flesh out that 30 for 30. And I was thrilled to be part of it and had a small cameo in that. And uh, that was that was cool, man. That was one of the that was one of those bucket list things. Now, the more popular story between you and Mike, a story that you've retold countless times, because for whatever reason, this took off like wildfire was several years ago. You were tasked with doing the CBS Sports Minutes. Basically, a one-minute hot take about a current topic in sports. You <laughs> happen to choose Hulk Hogan and what was going on with him at the time, and then signed off with what many refer to you as with DA. This is Damon Amendolaro with your CBS Sports Minute, brought to you by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. I've got no use for Hulk Hogan, boys and girls, not only because of his disgusting language, not only because he wrapped himself in the American flag, but clearly didn't feel all Americans deserved a certain level of respect, but also because now he's trying to apologize for the racism he spewed. Man, you said those words on home video in the privacy of your own house to people that are close to you. Oh, but that's not what you believe. That's inconsistent with who you are. Yeah, Hulk says he used language that's offensive and inconsistent with his own beliefs. I am a real American. If that's a real American, then I shudder at being one. Not only is the Hulkamaniac an ignorant slug, he's also a really bad liar. I'm DA. And Mike was not a fan of Hulk Hogan seemingly being on several of those little updates and apparently was not a fan as well of you using DA to sign off. You know, one of the great wastes of airspace, folks, is when someone does something that is impossible to defend and everyone in the world comes down on them, you get all these commentaries, these righteous, you know, commentaries, like the one I just had to listen to, about, oh, you know, get lost, you're this, you're that, you're this, you know, and then, you know, hey, how, what what do you what would you do? Come on, defend it. It, it doesn't take anything to come out and say, "Oh, oh Hulk Hogan." Oh, yeah. You get a million of them. I've heard like four of them today. First of all, why even bother talking about Hulk Hogan? He's not even worth he's not even worth talking about. Another thing, if you're going to do these commentaries, what's with the initials? 
What's with the initials on my show with these initials? These people haven't been in the business 20 minutes. They've not done anything. And they go, oh, this is, you know, give your name. What's with the initials? No one knows who you are. I wouldn't know who you are if you walked in the studio. And you're going to tell me the initials. Jeez. I hate these commentaries. They drive me nuts. They don't belong on my show or any show. You know what? <sighs> Could you briefly explain what that day or two was like for you getting called out on air by Mike and having to deal with all that nonsense? Well, the best part is that I, I grew up listening to Mike. I'm thrilled that I get to, to work next to a Hall of Famer every day. His studios are right next to our studios. I see him all the time. When I can, I say hi to Mike in the, in the office or whatnot. And uh, it's so funny because what I'll always now be remembered for is if you type in my name, the first thing that comes up is Mike Francesa. <laughs> and that's because that day I was, uh, I was filling in for the Doug Gottlieb show, which runs ran during the afternoons at CBS Sports Radio. And I was doing it with Bart Scott. We were co-hosting. And Bart is all over the place. He's all energy. I got to kind of rein him in and then I've got to do these sports minutes because that was Doug's responsibility that ran his three or four of them ran during Mike's show. So this is a day in the middle of the summer. That's why Doug is off. That's why we're on the air filling in for him. Nothing is going on. It's before training camp has started. It's after the NBA finals, after the Stanley Cup finals. The only thing going on is mid-season baseball and then Hulk Hogan drops that kind of racist tirade on home movie and it's everywhere. And so I'm like, well, this is kind of the news of the day. Let me give a hot take about Hulk Hogan's video. And I sign off. I say, this is Damon Amendolar with your CBS Sports Minute. I give my take and I wrap up. This is DA. This is the way I've always done it when I filled in to do those updates because my show's called the DA show. Everyone calls me DA because Amendolar is too much of a mouthful. And everyone just refers to me as my initials. And this runs. And Mike comes back after break. He already doesn't like the CBS Sports Minutes because I think it's other people's opinions, other people's, you know, personas on his show. And he comes back after the update, after the break, and he just trashes me and says, oh, yeah, well, yeah, no one would know this guy if he walked to the studios. He's used this visual guy, uh, Hulk Hogan. Why are we even talking about Hulk Hogan, a guy? And he just trashes me. And so I'm looking on Twitter and I'm doing the show. And I'm trying to like rein in Bart and I'm just trying to like do my job, whatever. And my Twitter's blowing up. Mike is killing you. Mike is crushing your CBS Sports update. Why are you talking about Hulk Hogan? I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I piece two and two together during the show. Uh, okay, this makes sense. And uh, sure enough, uh, I, I went outside and I said uh, during a commercial break, I caught up with Mike. I was like, hey, hey, hey Mike, I, I heard you weren't a fan of the update, you know. Sorry about that. Apologize for using my initials on your show. Kind of tongue in cheek, like this is, of course, what I have to do. And um, I say, like, oh, it's not your fault, okay? I just don't like the CBS Sports Minister. You know, you don't need to use your initials anyway. It's not, but it's not about you. And I was like, okay. So we kind of like buried the hatchet, and we were okay. And I just kind of got a kick out of it. I mean, you know, I don't take myself too seriously, so this was hysterical to me. Well, it creates World War Three because. People on my network think that Mike's dismissive and, and coming after me. And they were very cool to be defensive of me and come to my defense. And a lot of people in the industry kind of have taken shots at Mike. So this was a chance to like bear, pile on Mike. Mike supporters piled on me. And, you know, you're nothing compared to Mike. He's a Hall of Famer and all this. I said, I didn't, 
I didn't want to pick a fight with Mike. I just did a CBS Sports Minute. Leave me out of this. So I just found it all hysterical. But yes, that, I will forever be attached to that moment. And it's very ironic considering like I'm in high school interviewing this guy, you know, asking him for career advice. And 20 years later, he's uh, now I'm forever remember for him trashing me on the air. <laughs> so you made it. Perfect. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I will consider that a win. It's like if Howard Stern trashes you or Don Rickles tells a joke to other comedians, that's when you know you've made it. When Mike says something negative about you on air, you're in, man. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The last thing I wanted to leave you with, I wanted to just briefly touch on Nomad, which is the video series that you do weekly and people can find you talk about food and fans and experiences surrounding games and all sorts of different things that they're unable to find just by listening to a sports specific show. And it gives you a way to step away from that a little bit, show more of your personality and and have more fun. And I've heard you say in the past that you hope that that is something that will grow. And when people ask what you see your future as, or if you're going to be taking Mike's seat at the fan when he steps down in December, I'd rather just touch on why Nomad is so important to you, aside from what you do as a sports broadcaster and what you hope that might become in the years to follow. Yeah, I appreciate you asking. It's been a bit of a passion project for me for the last uh, year plus. I started this in uh, August of 2016. And, you know, the way that sports media has gone, everybody can see this, it's become just hot take central. And, you know, it's that's fine. I I don't begrudge anybody for building a career out of that. But when I do that for three hours on the radio and I try to put my opinions out there and have strong, interesting opinions, I think the last thing I need to do is jump on a TV set and do the same exact thing. And that's kind of the only sports television we see mostly now. It's it's just piping hot takes about this, about that. And I said, you know, there's got to be a different way for, for me to do it. And one of the things that I love is traveling to sporting events. One thing that my friends from college and I, a bunch of four of us have done every year for basically the last 10 years is go to one college football game a year to a place we've never been. And I just love traveling and trying the culture and eating what's what's popular there and, and drinking what's popular there and just kind of soaking that all in. I said, why don't I kind of bring that if I can? to a visual and now because so few people watch tv the way that we used to watch tv now you watch on your phone and you watch on youtube and you watch on demand i said it's kind of like making your own tv show in a lot of ways and so that's what i've tried to do and made it kind of look like i hope kind of a travel tv show where i can go do sports events and try to eat things and drink things and do cool stuff and um, it's it's really gotten a tremendous feedback, and I really appreciate the people that have subscribed to the channel and enjoyed it because I really love doing it. In fact, I'm editing one right now about eating a crazy hot dog with potato chips and, and chipotle mayo on it from uh, Houston a couple of weeks ago. So it was like uh, it was awesome. I had such a good time eating this at one of the MLS playoff games um, that I was like, I got to put this on video. And uh, yeah, it's something that I really love doing because it's so different from what I normally do for three hours a day, every single day. And then also another two hours on Sundays for Sunday morning football. I'm looking at the stories of the day, the hot topics, and I'm delivering my opinions on them. And then once I step away from that, I like the other part of sports, which has nothing to do with the news of the day or the hot you know, sports takes of the day. 
for the experience of actually going to these games and seeing what the fans are thinking and seeing what the whole culture is about. So that's why I've kind of approached it from that way. And yeah, if in five years or 10 years, um, this is kind of uh, the way that my sports television angle has been, I would, I would love that because it's a different way for me to look at sports instead of just hot takes about Colin Kaepernick or Jay Cutler or, you know, the, the Astros bullpen. I'll definitely put that in my show notes so people can find that as well for anyone that might be curious. It's definitely a, a great watch if people have the time. They could binge watch that now since that seems to be the trend. Right after Stranger Things too, just exactly. pop in Nomad and, and rip through five or six episodes. Should we leave with letting the WFAN listeners know where they can find your podcast, or do you think they're good? <laughs> <laughs> if you... <laughs> If they were unaware before the summer, they probably are well aware now, considering my promos for uh, the podcast ran ad nauseum during every commercial break during the summer. But now I've been banned, I believe, from the WFAN.com live stream. So uh, I'm hoping that all those old fan listeners miss me just a little bit. Well, I'm going to put everything in the show notes so we can keep everyone up to date (laughs) with anything they might miss. Damon, thanks so much for taking some time to rehash some of the things you've been up to in your sports career. It was great hearing some of the behind the scenes things of what you've been able to do, especially some of the more well-known things that people know, as well as the ones that they may not. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again for coming on. I did too, man. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you asking anytime, man. Take it easy. Thanks again to DA for jumping on the show. We'll now jump into another edition of The Toll Booth with Donnie Wrightside. Donnie is a professional handicapper who knows a thing or two about the lines of the sports world and will be joining the bridge for a weekly segment to help get us on the right side of those lines. He'll offer up some of his best bets to correspond with the bridge fade of the week, where listeners are urged to completely go in the opposite direction of what the show picks. For the upcoming weekend with the line set as of the recording of this show, The bridge fade of the week. Give me the Pittsburgh Steelers giving 10 at Indianapolis against the Colts. Now to someone who actually knows what he's doing, you can find Donnie at DonnieRightSide.com and at SportsBookReview.com and also follow him on Twitter. He's at RightSideVP. And remember, this segment is for entertainment purposes only. Without further ado, here's this week's edition of The Toll Booth with Donnie Wrightside. Has anybody got a dime? Oh, yeah. I don't have a dime. Somebody's got to go back and get a shitload of dimes. Oh. Hey, folks, Donnie Wrightside here from sportsbookreview.com and donniewrightside.com. Coming to you live for yet another edition of The Toll Booth here on The Bridge Podcast. Let's have a little bit of fun. Last week, one and one, not going to pay the bills, not going to be able to cross the bridge, not going to be able to use Easy Pass. No money left over for dinner, no money left over to take the woman out to get something to eat, and also maybe go to the movies afterwards. Our design here on the show, folks, let's go 2-0, and and that's what we're going to do this week. Let's have some fun. We split it up between one NCAA football game and one professional football game. Let's have a little bit of fun. 127-128 noon kickoff on Saturday. SEC battle, the Florida Gators and the South Carolina Gamecocks. If you take a look right now, CG Technologies at minus 7 right now. Sportsbook.com at minus 7. Chris at minus seven as well, so we'll go with that prevailing line. We're going to lean on today the South Carolina Gamecocks here in a battle of SEC foes. The one thing I do not like to put my money on, folks, and that's a team that looks like they've already quit, and that would be your Florida Gators. Fired the 
head football coach Randy Shannon took over. What happened last week? Let's rally the troops. 45-16 loss at Missouri, an embarrassing one, followed by the week before that to the Georgia Bulldogs in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, 42-7. Lost before that, 19-7 versus Texas A&M. Before that, taking a loss to the LSU Tigers. Things aren't looking good for those Florida Gators. Let's flip it over to the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, a couple weeks back, beating Arkansas at home, 48-22, going on the road to beat the Tennessee Volunteers, 15-9, beating Vanderbilt, 34-27. Losing last week to Georgia, no shame in that Georgia's top-ranked team in the country, 24 to 10, fought them hard there on the road. Now they're going to get those Florida Gators at home, and we're going to lean on the home team here in this one, the South Carolina Gamecocks. We're going to cover the minus seven and get that winner in NCAA football action. Let's flip it over to Sunday afternoon, 2:51, 2:52, one o'clock Eastern time kickoff. That's going to be the Minnesota Vikings and the Washington Redskins. Good old Case Keenum going to line up versus Kirk Cousins. Looks like the line as the time that we're doing the show right now. CG Technologies minus one, Chris minus one, Bet Online minus one. So we'll go with that. We're going to lean on the road team here, the Minnesota Vikings, fresh off of a bye week. If you saw Washington last week, impressive. 17 14 win at Seattle. Took a lot out of them. They're still a beat up football team the previous week before. If you watched, they lost to the Dallas Cowboys 33 19. Lost the week before to the Philadelphia Eagles 34 24. If we take a look at the Minnesota Vikings, doing very well this year. Mike Zimmer's defense is playing at a high high level. Last four games, beat the Chicago Bears 20-17, beat the Green Bay Packers 23-10, Baltimore Ravens 24-16, and those lowly Cleveland Browns 33-16. We're going to lean on those Minnesota Vikings this weekend to pull a nice victory for us in NFL action. So if we just recap here, we're going to lean on the South Carolina Gamecocks minus seven in SEC football play. Flip it over to Sunday. We're going to lean on those Minnesota Vikings minus one. We'll keep it short and sweet. Let's go 2-0 this week. Let's put some money in your pocket. I'll be back next week again here on the bridge with the toll booth edition to try to win you some money. I'm Donnie Wrightside from sportsbookreview.com and DonnieWrightside.com. Let's win you folks some money out there. Good luck. Left side. Strong side. Left side. Strong side. Left side. Strong side. Left side. We'll close out the show with another installment of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Joe Burris. Joe and I have been teammates on the basketball court, sports editors for our college newspaper that is no longer in literal print and hosts for the prestigious John and Joe Sports Show, which was once found on 99.5 WUSR Scranton and simulcast on the Royal Television Network. Since Joe usually sees more movies in a year than the 52 weeks within it, he now holds the reins to this segment. And don't worry, there aren't any plot spoilers, so you'll still be able to see these films, just with a better breakdown of what will be in store if you do so. And with Joe's final rating of the film compared to something or someone in the sports world. This week, Joe will break down Thor Ragnarok, which Rotten Tomatoes describes as... Thor imprisoned on the other side of the universe without his mighty hammer and finds himself in a race against time to get back to Asgard to stop Ragnarok, the destruction of his homeworld and the end of Asgardian civilization at the hands of an all-powerful new threat, the ruthless Hela. But first... 
Thor must survive a deadly gladiatorial contest that pits him against his former ally and fellow Avenger, the Incredible Hulk. You can find Joe on Twitter. He's at Duke Mish. That's D-U-K-E-M-I-C-H. You can also read his movie reviews, previews, and ratings at cupofdashjoe.com. Again, that's cupofdash or hyphen or whatever you'd like to call it, joe.com. Without further ado, here's this week's edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Joe Baris. What's up, everybody? I'm Joe Baris, and this is Five Minutes in the Film Room. Thor is a character that wasn't supposed to work, but we learned very early on to never doubt the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Back in Phase 1, Kenneth Branagh directed the first installment in the franchise, and to the shock of everyone, Thor succeeded in quality and at the box office. Propelled by the strength of its charismatic lead, Chris Hemsworth, a man we never heard of, the franchise was off and running. The first Thor also gave us the MCU's best villain, Loki, played by Tom Hiddleston. Hemsworth and Hiddleston continued to add to the MCU through the Avengers films, and they did all they could to pick up their decent, but ultimately lifeless sequel, Thor The Dark World. Then came the announcement of Thor Ragnarok, and all the hype that followed. The Hulk, check. Doctor Strange, check. Jeff Goldblum, check. Kate Blanchett, check. See that? I even just broke the rule of three. That's how much hype surrounded this movie. Then the trailer dropped, and that was great. This movie easily gets an A++++++ when it comes to the marketing. But did it live up to that hype? Let's go to the tape. Some of the hype is real, for sure, as the acting is excellent behind the strength of Hemsworth, Hiddleston, Blanchett, Idris Elba and a great turn from Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. Also, Goldblum is, uh, uh, yes, Goldblum. Ultimately, this movie is a blast. It's an improvement over the original, and definitely more than a step above the dull Thor the Dark World. Thor Ragnarok gets the franchise back to its colorful roots, as every scene is so vibrant. This movie also hits on a lot of comedy, and that's a credit to the writing and the actor's comedic timing, especially Hemsworth, who's nailed this role for years. It really hits you like Guardians of the Galaxy did in 2014 with its humor and originality. A few of the action sequences are pretty incredible, especially the scenes backed by Led Zeppelin's The Immigrant Song. The creative use of the hammer and camera work are a few of the details that elevate this third installment. I also enjoy one storyline in this film. I always thought, Thor is the god of thunder. Why does he have such a dependence on the hammer Mjolnir? As you can see in the trailer, Blanchett's character Hela destroys the hammer so we finally get to see what he's made of without the weapon. Thor Ragnarok gives us the iconic moments all superheroes strive for, and I was smiling and or laughing throughout. I've heard complaints that it's too much comedy. I disagree, and would take it a step further. The movie balances the tone very well. So I stress that there are a lot of things to like about this film, and that overall it is a very good movie and another good step for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But this is not a perfect film. Hela is a solid villain, but with so much going on in this film, although well-balanced for the most part, she ends up away from the action for most of the movie, because Thor is in a different part of the universe. Also, in one of her fight scenes, she's completely CGI'd, along with her attackers. It makes for a CGI mess. I really wanted to love the scene. I really did, but I couldn't. I also didn't love all of the elements of the story. There's really not much to it. And I guess it's not a big problem... But when a movie as hyped as this comes out, you want a solid story, and the plot was 
Meh. It's little things like this that keep Thor Ragnarok out of the conversation for the best superhero movies of all time. But make no mistake about it, this third installment is top-notch. It took a chance and absolutely succeeded. If the result is a few hiccups along the way, so be it, because the effort should be commended and praised. The bottom line, Thor Ragnarok is the Thor movie we didn't even realize we wanted, but we absolutely got it. It's so much fun and full of life. The acting is great, and the characters are great, as these Thor movies finally elevate the talent it already had, instead of forcing Hemsworth and Hiddleston to do the heavy lifting. The film thrives off Taika Waititi's direction, but when you go into this film, be sure to temper your expectations. This movie is not perfect. There are areas to nitpick, but I find when I nitpick it means I really like the movie, and the critic in me just finds something. Ultimately, this is a fun, innovative, original film, proving the Marvel Cinematic Universe not only continues to keep churning out quality films, but build better content. Good luck, Justice League. You're going to need it. I'll rank Thor Ragnarok as Aaron Judge. He's a Rookie of the Year candidate, an MVP candidate, and one of the most exciting players in baseball. Even though he only just finished his rookie season, Judge has areas of his game to nitpick. But that shouldn't take away from how great his first full season was. Sexy. Check! Uh, check please. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Thursday night, and please be sure to also subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find The Bridge on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And can listen to the show live on Wednesdays on TuneIn by searching for Sports Radio America. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll dabble in the NBA, dive into Major League Baseball, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.